Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon, and we are coming to you live on this Tuesday, March 21st, from the studios of Worldwide KFUO here at the headquarters, the International Center of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in Kirkwood, St. Louis County, Missouri. I'm your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bontier, Missouri. If you want to find out more about our church, uh, go to our website, stmatthewbt.org. And um, we invite your participation in our program today. You can call in with your comments or questions for our guests. Our toll-free number across North America is 800-730-2727. Again, 800-730-2727. And our local number here in St. Louis, area code 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also email us with your comments or questions. That email address is kfuo at kfuo.org. We have two guests in the studio today, both pastors here in this area. First of all, Pastor Matt Wood, the pastors of uh, Concordia Lutheran Church in Maplewood, Missouri. Welcome, Matt. Good to be here again. Good. And maybe since the last time, I think there's been a, a new branch in the Wood household. Yes, in the Wood household. Eleanor, yeah, born February 22nd. Good. Yeah. Eight good. pounds, ten ounces, twenty-three inches, green eyes. Other information as well. Okay, <laughs> so that was in February, and our yeah. other guest, Pastor Jim Prothro, uh, you also have a new Prothro in your household, right? That's right. Little Heidi was born in uh, January. And okay, she was not eight pounds. She was much smaller than that, mercifully. <laughs> All right. Well, good to have you both here. Pastor Prothro is the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Park Hills, Missouri. Uh, Matt Wood, where can people find out more about Concordia in Maplewood? Facebook. That is the way. Just to, type to in what? Concordia, Concordia Maplewood? Lutheran Church Maplewood. It, it should All come right. up. And uh, your Sunday morning schedule? 9.30 a.m. and Bible study afterward. All right. And you have midweek services during Five, what? 5.30 p.m. with a dinner afterward. On Wednesdays? Yeah, on Wednesdays, yeah. Okay. What about you, Pastor Prothro? Where can people find out more about Trinity and Park Hills? Um, you can go to Trinity Lutheran Church in Park Hills uh, at Facebook. Um, there's also the website, Trinity Lutheran Church Park Hills, all one word, dot com. <laughs> it's a little bit long, um, but the Facebook is probably the easiest way to get the most up-to-date information. And your Sunday schedule? We've got a nine o'clock uh, Bible hour with Bible study for adults and Sunday school for the kids, followed by 10.30 a.m service on Sundays. And then during Lent, um, instead of having Wednesday evening service, we have Sunday evening at five, and then we have a dinner after that. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, we've had you both on here before, and I'm glad to have you on again. 
We're continuing in the article in the Augsburg, the apology of the Augsburg Confession on justification. Article 4 in the Book of, of uh, Concord, Article 4 in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, probably the longest single article in the whole Book of Concord, because this, they found out, the Lutherans found out, was at the root of the, of the disagreements between the Roman Catholic Church and what became known as the Lutheran Church, was this uh, article on justification, and it was the abuse of that uh, that led to problems in the medieval Roman Catholic Church, which the Lutherans corrected. And so uh, the symptoms were in uh, the practice of penance and in the sacrifice of the Mass, but they discovered the underlying problem was a difference on this doctrine of justification, the article on which the Church stands or falls. So in Article 4 uh, on justification, in the apology of the Augsburg Confession, which again does not mean we're sorry we wrote it, it's actually the opposite. It is a spirited defense of the Augsburg Confession, the primary Lutheran confessional document. So the Augsburg Confession was presented in 1530, the, and then the Roman Catholic Church, the, pap the papal party, came back with a confutation later that year, and then the Lutherans, uh, came back with this apology, the Augsburg Confession, in the following year, 1531. It was written by Philip Melanchthon, who was Luther's right-hand man, and it reflects the teachings of uh, the scriptures and of Luther and the Lutheran confessors. So that's a little bit, bit of the background here. Now, in this long article on justification, today we're going to tackle uh, a section in which Melanchthon compiles uh, a whole slew of Bible passages showing that the Lutheran teaching on justification agrees with Holy Scripture. I've often said, gentlemen, that uh, I think of the, I've explained the Book of Concord as one great big Bible study. Mm -hmm. And if ever there is a section in the Book of Concord that demonstrates that, I think it is our section today. Any comment from either of you on how the Lutherans uh, confess the faith, what they thought of uh, what they were saying in regard to Holy Scripture. How did they, did they say this was something, the, the articles that they confess, what is their relationship to Scripture? Well, the articles are flowing from Scripture, and that's what the Augsburg Confession, and now the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, really lay out, is that we're not, we're not doing anything new. We're not... Uh, you know, this this isn't uh, so much uh, a revolution as it is a reformation, right? To try yeah. and uh, bring us back. So there's so particularly Melanchthon here is going to spend a lot of time on scripture, saying, "Look, this isn't our own make believe stuff. We're not just mad because you were you were robbing us to build St. Peter's Basilica. That's not what it is. We're it's we're founding this in scripture, and we're disagreeing on scripture here." Yeah. yeah. And it's not just mm -hmm. one passage he's going to right. cite. He's going mm -hmm. to cite passage after passage mm -hmm. after passage, all showing the same point that we are justified by faith and not by works. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we're going with this um, in paragraphs 86 through 102. Let me just uh, read paragraph 86, which sort of sets the stage. Uh, it says, Since we receive forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit, through faith alone, faith alone justifies. 
for those reconciled are counted as righteous and as God's children. This is not because of their own purity, but through mercy for Christ's sake, provided only that they receive this mercy through faith. So Scripture testifies that by faith we are accounted righteous, Romans 3.26. We will add testimonies that clearly declare that faith is that very righteousness through which we are accounted righteous before God. This is not because faith is a work that is worthy in itself. It is because faith receives the promise by which God has declared that, for Christ's sake, he wishes to show favor to those believing in him, or because God knows that Christ Jesus was, quote, made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. Pastor Prothro here, uh, Melanchthon is quoting, uh, paraphrasing a lot of the writings of Paul. He's using these big terms here like uh, justify, righteous or righteousness, faith, uh, accounted, work. Uh, How do these terms and this topic relate to what has already been confessed in Article 4 of the the Augsburg Confession itself and then was condemned in the Roman Confutation? What did the Lutherans say in the Augsburg Confession itself regarding justification? And you might want to explain that term a little bit. And then how is that condemned by the Roman Catholics? Well, there's a lot in your question there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. (laughs) Take some of it. Yeah, um, I suppose the easiest thing for me to do is actually just flip back and and read um, Article 4 on justification from the Augsburg Confession. It's very short. So they say, our churches teach that people cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merits, or works. Um, And to unpack this, um, to justify at the time is uh, a word that is being used sort of generally of salvation. Um, And today, if you see the word just, kind of like right, like if you justify something on your computer, your typeface, you're you're, you're sort of setting it right all the way straight on both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, The issue is... Uh, well, and, and you could think about, I mean, if you listen to good country music, you hear songs about like, you need to get right with the man, you need mm-hmm. to get right with God, mm-hmm. right? This is, this, is, this is the idea, right? But not just getting right yourself, but being set right before God. Um, and the, base, the, the best way to talk about being justified, um, I think, uh, is to say that God considers you righteous, that he looks at you, calls you, and treats you as righteous, right? Right, so this is you're in right standing with God. Right standing and the with big God is issue then is uh-huh. how do we how do we get into that status? Exactly, and so the next thing they say is not by their that human beings are set right with God, justified with God before God, not by their own strength, merits, or works. Um, and they they quote Paul here toward the end, uh, where they say God counts faith faith in Jesus Christ, right, and in Christ alone. God counts faith for righteousness in his sight. And that's what they're going to unpack here and try to say is a biblical position. Um, Saying that it's not by our own strength, merits, or works means that there's nothing that you do by yourself and nothing even that you're able to do by yourself and by your own strength that can make God say, yeah, you're righteous. You're my friend. You're not a sinner. You're not my enemy. You're not someone who's under my judgment. Right? You're someone who I will, who I, to whom I will grant eternal life. That there's nothing a human being all by themselves can do. It doesn't matter if you're 
uh, where my wife and I are reading Tarzan of the Apes, and the sort of romantic stuff in Edgar Rice Burroughs' book is amazing um, because he, you know, it's all idealizing the sort of primordial man. Every time he talks about Tarzan, and he can't speak English or anything like that, and he's muscular, and everybody thinks he's gorgeous, and he's so amazing, and he's what man was truly meant to be, right? No matter what ideal you have of man, whether it's that, whether it's um, uh, somebody who's really, really uh, upright and moral, whether it's somebody who's amazingly strong, whether it's somebody who cares for other people, whether it's somebody who takes what he wants and gets it and holds on to it, whatever ideal you have of like what it really means to be human, um, it ain't enough and can't be enough to set you right before God so that God should grant you eternal life, so that God should hold you in his favor and not count you as his foe. Now, Pastor Prothro, you just said in there that there's nothing a human being can do by himself that gets him right with God. Now, the Roman Catholic Party would agree with that as far as what you're saying. They would say that, no, we're not righteous with God just on our own. We have to have God's help. Mm-hmm. What's the subtle uh, misleading there, either one of you? Well, I, I, th- I think the most important word uh, that, that comes to us from the apology, uh, and we can see this, we'll see this in Romans as well, is the word reckoned or accounted, considered, mm-hmm. yeah. declared. So the, the, the right standing with God is something that God makes happen through d- declaring it. And, mm-hmm. and as, as far as I understand it, and... I'm no scholar of Rome, but as far as I understand it, the justification um, from Rome's perspective is that God makes you into a just person, right? So God comes and he and he gives you His grace and He transforms your works, and and He and He's going to through your life of faith change you and make you into a just uh, and righteous person. And it's a very subtle difference, but but if you think of where you're supposed to look uh, for justification, there's a big difference because if justification is God changing us, uh, if, if that's how we're justified, God God changes us, God makes makes us our behavior right, then we have to look at our behavior. Is God finished? Has He started? You know. Uh, we're, we're looking to our behavior, but if, if God simply declares, then we look to God's word. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say God doesn't change our behavior. He does, but it's not what makes us right mm-hmm. with him. So the that's medieval Roman that, church and the Roman confutation would say, yes, we need God's grace. We need God's help to get to this point where we can then become righteous. Mm-hmm. But that's different than saying God declares us righteous totally apart from anything we do. Yeah, and I think um, you guys have already talked about it on the program where um, uh, Melanchthon makes the point about grace, that it isn't a sort of moral steroid Mm -hmm. that gets Mm -hmm. sort of injected into you so that you can start to do things that God favors and that God loves and that will earn you eternal life. But actually it's God's favor um, it's God's disposition toward you that God just chooses to treat you a particular way, um, not that God helps you so that you can earn it. Um, I'm uh, just to read really quickly because this will get us into the rest sure. of um, your, your questions. I think, but from the um, uh, sources and context of the Book of Concord, edited by Bob Kolb and James Nestigen, um, 
Here at the end of the confutation, uh, it reads this, all Catholics admit that our works of themselves have no merit, so that they're ready to say that, like you said. Then here, but God's grace makes them worthy to earn eternal life. Mm -hmm. Now notice, we would agree with everything about that sentence except the fact that when they say God's God's grace makes them worthy to eternal uh, for eternal life, they mean the works, not the person, mm-hmm. right? So for 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 Melanchthon and the Lutherans, God's grace is something that because He decides, right? You said declares, mm-hmm. counts, reckons, any of those things. Because God decides to count the person worthy of eternal life, right? To make them that way in His own mm-hmm. sight right? by what Jesus has done. We, we'd agree with that, but we wouldn't say that God's grace makes our works worthy to merit eternal life. Because if it's yeah. our works that merit eternal life, then this is going to get us into Paul, but faith is null and the promise is void. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a problem with that because it looks like the Bible says the opposite. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when Christ will declare us righteous and say, enter into the kingdom, he will cite our works but not as meriting salvation, but as evidence that we had a living faith. Mm-hmm. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into this article uh, itself. Um, all right, we looked at paragraph 86. Now we're going to take it piece by piece in paragraph 87. And I just want to read the opening sentence or two here to start. In the epistle to Romans, Paul discusses this topic specifically. He declares that when we believe God, for Christ's sake, is reconciled to us, we are justified freely through faith. Now, Reverend Dr. Prothro, you did your doctoral work on justification in the book of Romans. What is, and and Melanchthon zeroes in on Romans. He's going to quote that the most heavily. And uh, I know when each of us went to seminary, we were required to take a course on either Romans or Galatians, because those two books, uh, more than any of the other epistles, zero in on this. So what is, uh, Dr. Prothro, what is so special (laughs) about the book of Romans in regard to this article on justification? Why does Melanchthon pick it? I feel like I'm walking into a trap every time you say (laughs) Dr. Prothro. well, I, I give. I don't know why Melanchthon picks it, but I'll give you my answer. Okay. Um, and and one that I think is really important. Um, and even even with Romans over Galatians, I know it, Galatians is the book that made me Lutheran when I was in college, and um, uh, you could say that it's the book that made Luther Lutheran too, mm-hmm. um, uh, with Romans supplementing it. But um, uh, I think Rome, Romans for this particular question is really important. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is it's just longer than yeah. Galatians. The second one is um, is that in Galatians, Paul has taught these people the gospel and assumes that they know what's going on. So when he looks at um, a group of people who are starting to walk away and turn to works of the law, he doesn't have to set justification in its theological context for them explicitly. Mm-hmm. He just launches right mm-hmm. in and says... You stupid Galatians, <laughs> yeah. right? Who, who is it that bewitched you to you do this? You knew the truth, right? and now you're going back to the old ways. Right, and he 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 will explain it, but it's everything he says has an has an edge. He's, he doesn't have to sort of explain it outright for people. Yeah. In Romans, um, he just he he applies justification as he teaches it 
to their specific situation. In Romans, he's writing to a congregation that he hasn't visited, and he starts off with the theological context of the wrath of God and human sin. So you could read Galatians and you look at the justification language and you say, well, what's the problem? Well, the circumcision, well, that's right. Jews and Gentiles, well, that's, yeah, that is. And, you know, and you keep going around. You can actually, I mean, there are, if you read some of the scholarly literature, there are a thousand different theories about what justification is in Galatians, mostly because it's not overtly defined. And you can say it comes in all sorts of different things um, and, and, and that it that means different things depending on where you are. But in Romans, is very explicit that from, from word one of the argument of the letter, starting in um, verse 18 of chapter one, um, it has its context in the problem of guilt and sin before a God who ain't going to have that, mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. a God who will judge and is opposed to is against all human impiety and unrighteousness um, by people who suppress the truth by their iniquity. Um, and so right from there, you're already set up really well to start understanding justification in its theological context. And that's really productive for Melanchthon and the rest of the reformers that they can point right to that and say, okay, here's, here's how to explain it. And then if you want to point to how important it is and what a non-negotiable it is, you point to Galatians where Paul says, mm-hmm. look, if you turn and follow the law, you have fallen from Christ, you are cut yeah. off from him and you will be damned on the last day. So in Romans, we have the teaching of justification set in its context of our falling short, our guilt, uh, that we're condemned, every mouth is shut, we're none of us righteous. So how is there a righteousness before God? Uh, And it's not through law, it is through faith in Christ. And that's where it'll peak in uh, chapter 3, and then he explains, he gives evidence in chapter 4 from from the Old Testament that what he's saying is not something new. It's taught in the Old Testament. Can I add and also so on. Go on. One, one thing that stands out for me in, in Romans, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he's the fact that he goes to justification right away and he's not being polemical, right? You could argue that justification is a central theme in Galatians because, well, that's the one thing they screwed up, so that's what yeah. Paul's... But Paul's, you know, could be talking about all kinds of different things that are important yeah. to him, but because that's the one thing they screwed up, that's why he's focusing there. It's not, you know... But with Romans, there's there's no reason for him to be polemical. He's presenting he's my gospel, presenting the gospel, that he preaches. and there it is, justification, front and center, grace, yeah. faith, and and, there's, and he's not responding to a problem. He hasn't met yeah. the, the church face-to-face yet. He's met a couple people there, but... So I think it, it really uh, highlights the, the foundation. The centrality of, of this yeah. article. Yeah. And then you go to Galatians, like you said, and realize mm-hmm. how important it is mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. when it mm-hmm. is threatened. All right, let's go on here in paragraph 87. Uh, he says, This point, which contains the statement of the entire discussion, Paul sets forth in the third chapter, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Um, and then it goes on and says, the adversaries conclude that this passage refers to Levitical ceremonies. But Paul speaks not only of the ceremonies, but of the whole law. For he quotes afterward from the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet. So Paul in Romans 3.28 says that we're justified by faith apart from works of the law, 
But there seems to be a distinction in what the Roman confutation was saying is meant by works of the law versus what Melanchthon and Paul are saying by works of the law. Uh, how did the Roman confutation, that is the opponents of the Lutherans, try to limit this statement about that we're justified by faith apart from works of the law? What did they mean by works of the law, and what is Melanchthon and Paul meaning by that? Either one of you, Pastor Prothrow? Sure. Um, the, uh, Talks about Levitical ceremonies here. Right, Levitical ceremonies basically being um, what, if you're, I mean, lots of our own people do this too, but it's, it's especially a common distinction made in um, uh, among my like Presbyterian friends, people of the Reformed tradition, ceremonial versus moral law. Um, if you've heard that, that's basically what's going on, is that people are reading Galatians and reading Romans, and when Paul says a person is justified apart from works of the law, they would say that doesn't mean all works. It doesn't mean any law. It just means these specific things that aren't relevant anymore. That we're um, no longer bound by uh, certain sacrifices that were offered at the temple, right. by Levitical priests, right. by and so on, and a circumcision right. or dietary laws. Mm -hmm. But we are still. Um, Justified by our keeping of the moral law. Right. It's a, it's a, I mean, they're going to quote Augustine here in a minute, um, but Augustine's actually a guy who changed his position because his early expositions of Galatians sort of agree with what most everybody in the third and fourth and fifth centuries was saying, which was, yeah, that's, that's all it means, right? And if you think about where you get when you start reading the text that way, is you, allow a lot of room for yourself to be justified by other things, right? Mm -hmm. As long as it's not circumcision, Sabbath observance, or whatever. Um, and there's, it, it is important to say that that issue is really important in the New Testament. If you've read Acts 15, that's what they're trying to decide, right? Do Gentiles have to get circumcised or what? So, uh, and they, they do make a decision about that that doesn't go into everything else about the law. So when Paul is saying we're justified by faith apart from works of the law, he's not just saying we're no longer Old Testament Israelites. He's saying, and, and Melanchthon is citing this as saying, we're not justified even by our love for God or our love for our neighbor. Mm -hmm. And he quotes this thing about you shall not covet right. as evidence of that. Right. We're going to come back to this article in a moment. You're listening to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO. get for looking down here instead of watching his hands. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash jobs board. Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Worldwide KFUO invites you to start and end your day with the Word of God and prayer 
with morning prayer at 9 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Weekdays on the Messenger of Good News, Worldwide KFUO. Want to be actively engaged in meaningful service and put your time and talents into action? Volunteer Connection engages, equips, and empowers individuals to serve the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and its national and international ministries at the International Center. Come join us as together we make known the love of Christ. To learn more about Volunteer Connection, please call 314-996-1629. Thomas Cranmer was in the powerful position as Archbishop of Canterbury from 1533 to 1556, playing a prominent role in the history of the English Reformation. Just three years after the execution of reformer William Tyndale, the first English Bible authorized for public use, a large pulpit Bible known as the Great Bible was published. Thomas Cranmer wrote the preface to this Bible. And it was Thomas Cranmer who promoted reforms that led to forming the Church of England. And it was Cranmer who compiled the Book of Common Prayer, Bible-laden liturgy used in church services across England, no longer in Latin, but in English. But after Edward's death, Queen Mary had Thomas Cranmer tried for treason and executed on March 21, 1556. Engage with the Bible in all its historical influence. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. We are back on Concord Matters. Uh, We're in Article 4 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. We're in Paragraph 87. And uh, we've just uh, talked about... Uh, this this quote uh, from Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. The Roman Catholic Church wanted to limit this works of the law to just the Old Testament Levitical ceremonial law uh, so that they could still hold on to we're justified by our keeping of the moral law of the Ten Commandments. But uh, Melanchthon is making the case that Paul does not mean just that... Uh, the Old Testament law, but that were justified by faith apart from works of the law, meaning the whole Ten Commandments, the moral law as well, that were not justified by any works that we do, but rather through uh, receiving God's gifts through faith in Christ. All right. So then Melanchthon goes on here in paragraph 87, if moral works would merit the forgiveness of sins and justification, there would also be no need for Christ and the promise. Pastor Wood, do you see the the result or the consequence if the Roman Catholic position were held that you could be justified by your keeping of the moral works? What does that do to Jesus? Well, it it kind of makes him redundant, I suppose. I mean, if 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 God wanted to make little saviors of us, that's what he would have done. He would have <laughs> made us into little obedient Saviors of ourselves, but Jesus that's not what did, did his Jesus, part. Right. Oh, it's mm-hmm. up to you to finish the job, right? And yeah. so that becomes the decisive thing, right? Then. Yeah, the finishing of the job, and and then Jesus gives zero comfort, zero confidence, because it all comes down to how it all well comes you're down done. to how well, how, how far 
far how much further have we gotten yeah yeah so that is the end result if if you go along with this premise here mm -hmm. all right uh let's see we going on here um all that Paul says about the promise would be overthrown. He would also, he, he meaning Paul, he would also have been wrong in writing to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. We're very familiar with that passage, uh, Pastor Prothro, and the question is, what is the gift of God being referenced here? Uh, it is the gift of God, not a result of works. I can see really two things in this passage that are the gift of God. Um, what What do you see here as the gift of God, or really a one all inclusive thing? I uh, I would take the it um, and the this as well as going back to saved through faith, um, and even even by grace. The whole the whole idea, the whole package, that whole package in the first sentence there is what comes out, the first clause there, is what comes out in the it. That's, so it's it's both Jesus dying God. on the cross, mm -hmm. but also God's gift of giving you the faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the whole package. It's the whole being saved by grace through faith thing is the gift. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of our Protestant friends would say, yeah, we're saved by what Christ did on the cross, but now this faith, that's your your job. Yeah. But we're saying the yeah. faith too is part of the gift. Yeah. Well, it, when when people talk like that, it always strikes me as as uh trying to make the reformation go a full 360. Right? I mean, Luther reformed the church. He did a 180 on justification by works. He stopped, he turned around, he you know, and said, "No, it's only about Christ." And then the the uh, radical reformers came in and said, Luther, you only did a 180. That's not reforming the church enough. We need to go the full way. We need to do a 360. And now we're back right at the beginning, but kind of in a different spot. We're still trying to finish the job. So even the faith is a gift. Yeah, the faith is a gift, and it's a work that's that's created that we cannot drum up ourselves. Yeah. We can't. We don't. We don't unite ourselves with Christ and His death and resurrection. Christ does that for us. And this is the Holy Spirit. Right, the, Holy through the Holy Spirit's job, sacraments, the, yep. the gospel mm -hmm. creates and nourishes this faith in our hearts. All right. Um, now, uh, Paul uh, Melanchthon goes on, quoting Paul again. Paul likewise refers to Abraham and David in Romans 4, 1 and 6. Let me just read those verses. Romans 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? And then... Um, uh, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Then verse 6 just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So here, uh, St. Paul is citing the examples of Father Abraham and David, both teaching a justification through faith and not by works. Um, now, 
let's say a little bit more about that. Uh, it goes on in, in the paragraph in the Apology, but they had God's command for circumcision. Therefore, if any works justified, these works must have also justified at the time they had a command. Now, so if Paul is saying that they were justified, both Abraham and David, apart from works, even though they had the work of circumcision commanded to them directly from God, uh, but he's saying they were justified apart from works. And furthermore, this thing about Abraham believed God and it was reckoned or counted to him as righteousness, that is quoted from Genesis 15. Mm -hmm. When does Abraham get the command to do circumcision? Genesis 17. So Abraham was already declared righteous mm -hmm. through faith, even before he got the work of circumcision right. commanded to him. And, and there's no way you do the work of circumcision without faith. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Very good. Well, let's uh, uh, cut that short. I, uh, can, I, can I jump in with two things here? Go ahead. Um, just real quick. So, uh, first of all, it um, one. So two two things. Just real quick. So one of them is, is Melanchthon is making the point that that he makes elsewhere here, and then Luther makes too. And he says, "Look, let's think about this for a second. Abraham and David have circumcision, and that's a command by God. Like in the Bible, you can find it right there, bold letters, circumcision." Now, let's contrast ourselves today or the Roman church back then. What is it that you sort of think justifies you? And is it even commanded by God? Right. This is one of the things that are always like, look, you guys are telling people that they get justified by doing things that you made up instead of what God commanded, you know, particular right. fast, particular mm -hmm. this, you know, whatever, the things that they're encountering. And, you know, maybe today, uh, I mean, I've heard some people use a lot of different examples from the way that churches tell people to get saved today, which very often has to do with a particular thing you've got to do to make sure that you have believed in Jesus correct. the correct way, um, whether it's prayer, whether it's a rite or a ritual or something. Um, so that point, I think, is really relevant. And the other one is the, the text that he points to. So if, if, even if David and Abraham have works that aren't meritorious in themselves but are good enough for God to sort of transform, then why... Does Paul first start to exposit what it means to be justified by faith without works in the case of Abraham and David by quoting a psalm about forgiveness of sins? Mm -hmm. He doesn't quote a psalm about God transforming your good stuff into stuff that counts. Creating me a clean heart. Right. He, yeah, it's David he says, the sinner. Yeah, mm -hmm. he says, look, what, what's going on is not God making your good stuff count before him. He's talking about making your bad stuff covered up, atoned, mm -hmm. right? Forgiven. This is the one whose sins are covered. That is atoned for, right? Mm -hmm. And that brings you back to the uh, to Romans 3, of course, was grounded in about the righteousness of God being revealed in the death of Christ. And the blood of Christ being presented as mm -hmm. the mercy seat mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that mm -hmm. covers our sin, the mm -hmm. atoning sacrifice. Good, good. All right, let's go on then. And now he's been quoting a lot of... Oh, we have a question. Go ahead, Jeff from Tampa. Hi, gentlemen. Thank you for the great discussion. I love and right. appreciate your efforts in the show. Um, you know, in decision theology, it's really all about our decision to accept Christ, you know, or, and I hate this phrase, you know, making him our personal Lord and Savior, like we kind of put him in our pocket. Yeah, um, yeah. Would our Lutheran 
confessions say that the delineation is like a believer or an unbeliever? Or in other words, like when St. Peter confessed that, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. So I guess my question is like, when we believe, what is it that we believe? Is it we believing in Christ as our propitiation, that he atoned for our sin before God? Is that a good way to summarize that? Pastor Prothero, you're nodding your head in agreement. (laughs) Hi, Jeff. Yeah, I'm nodding. Um, Yeah, they make that point a whole lot. Actually, it makes, um, I've got some friends who would like to be Lutheran, but it makes them uncomfortable because because Melanchthon over and over again says, you need to believe that you're saved by God's grace through Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, So not just belief in general, um, and not even just a belief that God is God and Jesus is his son, but particularly the belief that he has atoned for us and that we are acceptable and reconciled to God because of him. And trust trust in this Christ, right. yeah. not in yourself. Mm-hmm. Right, because even the demons believe. Yeah, right. James but chapter 2. It's the trust that we have, and that, as, as you had said earlier, it's that belief and faith which is a gift. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and the word trust there is really good because that trusting is just something not, that you cannot decide to do on your own. You can <laughs> pretend you, you can say, like, oh, I trust you, and and you, you can hand something over to somebody, but the trust is going to be built through a relationship, and that's what God does for us. He initiates it, carries it out, and proves himself time and time and time again, and gets the trust into our heart. And it's elicited by a promise. Yeah, by his promise. <laughs> it's yeah. faith in the promise. Notice right. how Melanchthon says that over and over, faith in the promise. And yeah. Paul does that, of course, in Galatians, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not faith in my own faith. Mm-hmm. You're not putting faith in my decision for Jesus, because uh, maybe that's not strong enough for, you know, it, it only hit an eight on the, you know, how you pound the thing at the carnival and the you're trying to reach the bell and it only goes up to eight out of ten. Well, maybe you only hit to four or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you got to try harder. No, it's not faith in your own faith. It's not fideism. It's your faith has value only because of its object, which is uh, Christ himself and the promise that your sins are forgiven for his sake. And praise praise be to God that it's not up to us, right? Exactly, exactly. Thank you, Jeff, for that good question. All right. Uh, I want to at least get a little bit farther here. Uh, as always, I project that we're going to get all the way through this certain point, and we never get there. Oh, well. Uh, we're saved by grace, not <laughs> through works, even on this program. All right. Um, all right. So we're in paragraph 87, a very long paragraph. And um, here, the next line or two. But Augustine, St. Augustine, uh, but Augustine teaches correctly that Paul speaks of the entire law, not just the ceremonial law, of the entire law, as he discusses at length in his book on the spirit and the letter, where he finally says, quote, These matters, having been considered and treated according to the ability that the Lord has thought worthy to give us, we conclude that a person is not justified by the precepts of a good life, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And then uh, Melanchthon says, lest we may decide that faith justifies came from Paul without consideration, he fortifies and confirms this teaching by a long discussion in Romans 4. Uh, Pastor Prothero, uh, Mm. you mentioned Augustine earlier. Uh, What do you have to say about this quote from Augustine? Uh, that we're saved not by the precepts 
we're not justified by the precepts of a good life. Yeah, let's, I think they they quote him particularly because of that line. Because this is this is toward the end. I and I haven't read on the Spirit in a letter in a long time uh, to see whether it's the end of this uh, treatment or not. But he, after he's considered everything, he says, "We conclude that a person is not justified." And he's saying almost the same thing that Romans three twenty eight says. We reckon that a person mm-hmm. is not justified by. And then instead of saying works of the law, he makes the point by saying the precepts of a good life. Right, but only yeah. by faith in Jesus. Um, so he's making this is where Augustine, who's one of these really influential and really important uh, patristic writers, has has shown his own turn from thinking at one point that works of the law, that the stuff you're not justified by is sort of you know extra kind of Levitical ceremonial stuff, but actually anything, even the best thing you can do, doesn't make you right before God. What I'm noticing throughout this discussion, which is, I think, a hallmark of good theology, is to state something positively and then to state the thing you're rejecting negatively. Uh, We believe this, we believe, teach, and confess this, and we're not saying this. How does that help clarify uh, our thinking, Pastor Wood? Well, it just gives us another way to to run through it, right, To, to be more especially clear, I suppose. That we're saved but, yeah. through faith, not, not by works, works yeah. of the law. Yeah. So we're so so there we're trying to minimize confusion right. by stating positively what we are believing and right. then reject what we are not saying. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting, uh and Pastor Prothero can correct me on this, but uh came across an insight that particularly with Rome, Paul and Romans and also in our confessions, that uh, when we talk about faith, the opposite of faith is works and not unbelief. You would think that the opposite of faith is unbelief, but we're here we're contrasting it. The opposite of faith is in our discussion has been works, uh, which would would be unbelief. As but uh, it's so it again points to the clarification that's all what God gives. Well, and again, he's, I mean, an important thing that he's not talking to non-believers. Right. Right, Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It would surely be different if you were. But the question is not, you know, do you believe in Jesus and what is, does that do a good thing for you? You know, Mm -hmm. does Jesus do a good thing for you? The question is, what, 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 what else and how does it all work? You know, so, I mean, even in Galatians 3, right, he's, he's talked about justification and how it relates to, you know, circumcision and how people deal with one another. But then he deepens it and he says, look, here's the thing. Faith, the law doesn't work by believing. The law is all about mm-hmm. doing. And it's almost like there's two contrasting kind of principles of what these things are and where they fit in the whole scheme of salvation in the Christian life. And the one thing does one thing and the other thing does other things. But the only thing that is part of salvation that, that the human is part of is faith. One good right. saying that kind of sums this up is goes like this. The law says, do this. And it is never done. The gospel says, believe this, and it is already done. I, I think that might have been, I don't know if that's from the Heidelberg Disputation or what, but I've heard that somewhere. Mm-hmm. I know. I feel like so. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's go on. Um, all right, so afterward, uh, Paul repeats it in all his letters. So he says in Romans 4, 4 and 5, and I quoted this earlier, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Here he clearly says that faith itself is credited for righteousness. Faith is that thing God declares to be righteousness. Paul adds that righteousness is credited freely. He says that it could not be credited freely if it were due uh, because of works. Therefore, he excludes also the merit of moral works. For if justification before God were due to these moral works, both would not be credited, faith, I'm sorry, faith would not be credited for righteousness without works. Afterward, in Romans 4, 9, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Romans 5, 1 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, in this section, he's quoting this the, over and over again about this faith is counted as righteousness, credited as righteousness. Um, explain that a little further, Pastor Wood. You brought this up earlier. Yeah, well, this, this counted at yeah. or credited as or reckoned as. Right. It gets back to what we were talking at the at the top of the hour is we look to God for for our peace with Him, not ourselves. Uh, before faith, uh, before our relationship with God, during, after, it all depends on God. And so uh, what Melanchthon is going after here is the, is the Roman position that God gives you grace to do good works. And it's those good, and it's those good works that are uh, redeemed or, or justified, not the person. And the person is only justified once the good works are complete. Melanchthon is, is telling us to look at God, look at Jesus, look at Christ's word, uh, I forgive you. That's the gospel. Mm -hmm. The gospel isn't uh, good works on steroids or something mm -hmm. like that. Now, Pastor Prother, this term uh, counted as or reckoned as mm -hmm. or credited as, uh, the Greek word behind that, logizomai, mm -hmm. is kind of an accounting term. And you think of like a balance sheet, mm -hmm. like you're in debt to God, and, and mm -hmm. sometimes sin is termed in the Bible as like debts, mm -hmm. and so you're in the you're in the hole here, mm -hmm. and Jesus has all the merits, mm -hmm. and uh, explain how this then gets Luther would call this the uh, what the happy exchange the Freilicke Wechselse, Wechselse, yeah this happy exchange where his explain that please uh um okay. Like uh, like a bank like account or crediting crediting. Well, so um, the 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 idea. So you get um, with this verb, the Greek verb. You can find this in classical Greek literature, um, and I've got several examples um, in the same kind of construction where people are talking about what different monies or resources are uh, are allotted for. So it's allocation. So that is to say, you can you you know. Um, I forget who it is that says this. I should have brought my notes. Like the exchange one rate person, or something. Yeah, well, so one person will talk about somebody else. Uh, there, there's a court uh, document where somebody says he used to count credit however many drachmas per day for or unto or, you know, the word that we have here, faith credited unto for as. He used to count those things, that amount of money, for the children's food, right? So it has to do with what ledger it goes in, what side of the sheet, right? Um, so where are you going to put it when you're kind of counting it up? Like you said, so it's kind of like a, a bank account image. 
Um, and Paul doesn't speak this way all the time, but he does pull it out here, I think, especially because he's already been talking about God's judgment and justification. And he's been talking about what happens when sinners get counted righteous. We talked about forgiveness of sins, that the sin gets unreckoned and that righteousness gets reckoned. Um, and this is especially important for him because this kind of phrase, this reckoning, you talk about sin as debt, is something that people in his day, particularly uh, Jews who were steeped in the Old Testament, would talk about sin this way. Um, it's not one that he uses all the time, and there's problems if you just think about God as a banker. Mm-hmm. But it's a very helpful uh, way of thinking about not just bookkeeping, but divine bookkeeping, heavenly mm-hmm. bookkeeping, mm-hmm. and you think about the final judgment and what, you're, what are you storing up for yourself, Romans 2, at the final judgment, mm-hmm. right? And who is it that's going to deal with all of the deficit that you have? So trusting in Christ, all of Christ's righteousness mm-hmm. gets put into our account, mm-hmm. and that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. more than enough. Uh, go and ahead. If I can make one, I know we're running out of time, but... Part of the point that Melanchthon uh, makes here and elsewhere, so he says faith is counted, it's credited, right? God declares it to be righteous. That doesn't mean that faith, and people often preach this way, especially good Protestants who are trying to be good justification by faith people and not by works people, is that it gets preached as basically a sort of replacement condition. Like, man, the law was hard. Isn't it nice that now God just gave us a much easier good work to do? That's not how it works. Um, That's not the point. He's, the, the point about faith being credited is not because faith is a good work or meritorious in itself, but again, which we talked about uh, last time in this uh, program, is because that's what you do when somebody speaks to you and promises you something, is you trust it. And you right. receive the gift. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's, how you, that's how you're connected to somebody and joined to somebody. And that's why faith is the, Luther says, the, the wedding ring that joins us to Christ the church's husband. And as we're winding down the hour here, I want to I want to tell our listeners that this gift is for you. This is not just an academic discussion. This is for you. This is for your life and salvation. That God has declared you righteous, not because of your striving and your struggling, but because of what Christ has done for you by his death on the cross to cover your sins and to give you his righteousness. It's all a gift. And this gift is for you. Thank you for listening to Concord Matters. We'll come back again next week.